You're listening to The Good GP, the podcast for busy GPs. Hello and welcome to another episode of The Good GP. My name's Christina Delange and today I am recording on Yuggera country. I would like to begin by acknowledging the traditional owners of these lands and also pay my respects to elders past present and emerging. I also want to extend that acknowledgement to the traditional owners of the lands upon which you, our listeners, are tuning into this podcast from today. Now, joining me on today's podcast, I have fellow GP, medical educator, podcaster, writer, and now published author, Dr. Hilton Copy. Hilton, welcome to the podcast. Hi, Christina. Thanks for making me welcome. I'm coming to you from Bunjalung land in northern New South Wales today. Thank you for sharing that. And actually, we shouldn't really just be saying welcome. I should really be saying welcome back because it's not your first time on The Good GP. I've interviewed you in the past um, on dementia, which is one of your passion areas in clinical medicine. Today, we're talking about something quite different. We're talking about reflective writing and its role in doctor well-being. But this is also another big passion of yours and such a passion that you have now authored and published your own book called One Curious Doctor. Congratulations, Hilton. A a labour of love, I am sure. Yeah, thanks, Christina. It certainly has been uh, a labour and uh, yeah, it's great to see the product of the labour out into the world. Uh, It's been a journey really over many years and to see it all come to fruition has been incredibly exciting. Yeah, so rewarding, I'm sure. And, you know, I can say it is just such a a beautiful collection of very honest and very vulnerable stories about your experience, time in general practice, as well as other aspects of your life as well. But certainly um, as a GP myself, a a lot in there that I could relate to. So I do really encourage our listeners to get their hands on a copy of that book as well and, and to have a listen after today. But in order to sort of set the scene, I guess, to talk about reflective writing with you, I wanted to start off by asking you to share a bit about your career in general practice. You're not practicing clinically anymore. Um, You're still a GP, but just with lots of non-clinical hats on. But you have stopped your work as a a GP. But I wanted to just give our audience that little bit of a uh, understanding of where your journey into reflective writing came from as a GP. Sure. Well, uh, I did my medical degree in Sydney in the 1970s, which sounds like a very long time ago, and then worked for a few years at at Hornsby Hospital and then did GP training in the days of the family medicine program when it was very loose and flexible and a whole lot of fun. And I had some time working in England and did some rural placements. And it was really... uh, Once I I landed on general practice, I knew that's what I wanted to do medically-wise. And uh, I enjoyed the time uh, rotations on the North Coast, uh, both hospital and general practice. So when an opportunity came in the late 1980s to move up to the northern rivers of New South Wales, uh, it was too good an opportunity to pass up. And so I started my career as a rural GP in Bangalore in 1988 and then spent the next 30-something years working as a GP in the Northern Rivers area in Bangalore and then uh, Byron and then for the last 20 years in Lennox Head. And I always combined my 
clinical work with a role in medical education, primarily with GP registrars, but also some work with uh, experienced GPs around uh, well-being, burnout prevention, uh, those kind of aspects, which were when I started doing that in the 90s, there weren't many people talking about it. Now it's sort of, it's, uh, it's a lot more spoken about, which is fantastic. But when I started, it was like I was just this maverick lone gun on the North Coast with these crazy ideas that maybe if we paid a little attention to our own well-being, things might go a bit better for us. Yeah, and it's certainly a theme that comes up a lot during the book, Hilton, is your own well-being, actually. And you do share, I guess, you know, you're one of these great rural GPs who's found a town or an area and, and stuck there. And, you know, you talk about in your book that that does mean that your patients grow old with you, so to speak. Um, but you talk about the fact that that does bring its own challenges as your patients grow old with you. Um, you know, you see them through a lot, through a lot of happy times in life, but also through some very challenging and difficult times in life, um, through pain and suffering, um, and, and ultimately through death as well. And that can take its toll on the doctor, on the GP, and, and certainly it did have an impact on you. Can I ask, can you share a little bit about that and how that did impact you over your career? Yeah, sure. So it's sort of like the two sides of the one coin about working in uh, rural or regional practice, or perhaps any general practice really, is that if once uh, a GP's been there for a time, we talk about caring for our patients, like we use that language. And when you truly do care for people, there's the joy of when things go well, but there's the other side of that coin when things don't go so well. Some of it for people with personalities like mine, there's a worry about making sure never, ever, 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 ever making a mistake because of the uh, potential for a mistake causing harm to people that I might care about. That's exhausting. And then because um, I, in a way, was pretty diligent about managing risk factors for diabetes and hypertension and, and those sort of things, my patients didn't die of heart attacks or strokes and lived to be in their 80s and 90s, often with uh, a lot of comorbidities and age-related changes like arthritis and chronic pain. So their reward and my reward for being fastidious about cardiovascular risk factors was getting to sit together with this suffering for which there was very little medically to do to ease the pain. And so for me, just I guess partly with my personality and this thing about caring for people at a personal level, uh, it was hard to witness that and then it's, I guess, a little further complicated when people die. And thankfully, my, you know, my patients died. Not thankfully they died. Thankfully, they didn't die to neglect on my behalf or errors on my behalf. They died because they were old and it was their time. But it sort of got to a stage where it seemed like every week or every other week, there was another visit to the drawer in the practice manager's desk to get the death certificate book out. And um, this repeated saying goodbye to people that I 
cared for and cared about uh, started to weigh a little bit heavily on me. Yeah, and it's um it's a challenge, isn't it? Because you know our patients are not our friends, <laughs> so to speak, but they do become people that we care a lot about. We see them through a lot of their uh, achievements in life, a lot of their milestones in life. And so, you know, we can become, we can develop quite a close connection with our patients, even though it's, it's not purely transactional. And that can be hard to define, I think, at times. And then, but also hard for us, I guess, to sometimes seek closure when something does happen. You know, if a patient dies, for example, you know, it's kind of a, an odd feeling of how, how, how am I meant to respond to this, you know, because um, sometimes we can actually experience quite a lot of grief. But yes, yet we're told it's the patient that has the disease, not us, you know, it's the patient that dies, not us or, you know, and, and to separate ourselves. But I think it's also natural when we do have a connection with a patient that we then do have a grief that follows that, yeah. you know, and that can be really hard, I guess, as a, as a GP and as, as a health professional in general, having to be constantly faced with that mortality. And I think everyone responds in their own personal way uh, and there's no right or wrong way to deal with the personal impact of that. For me, you know, you use the word closure, Christina, and it's such a good word. And I suppose sometimes I would go to funerals. That was one way of getting closure. That wasn't always possible or appropriate. But uh, just getting back to the original premise for the interview today was around reflective writing. And although I didn't start with reflective writing because of patients dying, certainly when I, my patients did die, the writing was incredibly helpful and did help me to get some closure and uh, sometimes find... Uh, I don't know, I'm hesitant to say some deeper meaning, but uh, for example, I wrote a piece uh, a few years ago called I'm Losing My Patients, and it was about three patients who died in fairly rapid succession, and it was published in a, uh, an anthology called Grieve, which is put out by the Hunter Writer Centre each year. And so in a way to know that my story was deemed to be good enough to be published and then to get some feedback from other people who recognise, oh, yeah, I'm not the only one who feels like, like, like that, it helped to find some meaning in the loss by sharing it in that way. Yeah, and I think I could really um, relate to one of the stories you shared in your book. I have found myself wondering at the end of that piece you talk about, you know, you wonder whether writing this piece will allow you to bury your loss. And for me, I was it kind of almost allowed me to justify my own feeling of loss when a close patient of mine has died, that, you know, I'm justified in being able to to feel that that grief, I guess, and, and to feel the need to say goodbye. So you, you started to mention, uh, Hilton, about how you were able to utilise reflective writing then to, to sort of manage some of this. So let's talk about that then a little bit more. And I guess, firstly, what was your journey into reflective writing? How Because you say in the book, you weren't always a writer. It wasn't something that you, you know, had done from early on as a teenager or as, as, an, as a younger adult. Um, so how did you start getting into reflective writing then? 
Yeah, I think not only was I not a writer, I was kind of almost like an anti-writer. I was an anti-reflective practice person growing up, very linear and uh, not at all interested in the touchy-feely stuff. And, you know, it's quite ironic because I fluked uh, my HSC mark to get into medicine was on the back of a couple of good English essays, which kind of got me into medicine where I probably wouldn't have expected to. So it's a little bit ironic that someone who didn't really like writing or those sort of things very much got into medicine through writing um, some essays and now got this book there. But it started probably about 15 years ago when I was caring for a woman with pretty significant depression. And uh, all the standard medical treatments weren't that effective. Uh, she attributed her eventual recovery to being able to start writing some poetry about her experiences with depression. And uh, that kind of intrigued me because I'd never really heard of using writing as a, in inverted commas, therapeutic modality. So she'd written a collection of poems and, and I was curious about that and asked if I could maybe have a look at some of the poems. That made her more excited than I'd seen her in the previous nine months or more. And the next day there at my desk was a whole pile of poems that she'd left with the receptionist. And uh, I took them home and they sat in my in-tray until late one night. I picked them up and started flicking through them. And and I guess I was hoping to find, Christina, if I'm going to be honest, I was hoping to read somewhere that I had actually made a difference and helped um, her in her journey because none of the other medical treatments really worked. But I thought, I wonder if my presence had made a difference. So I stumbled upon a poem called And You. And I wondered, hmm, I wonder if I could be the you in And You. So I started to read it in the hope that I was going to find out how fantastic I was. And of course, talk about setting yourself up for a fall. It was the complete opposite to that. And it was, you know, referred to me as ignorant, naive, cruel, stupid, you know, the kind of terms that I really wouldn't want a patient to describe me by the complete opposite the complete opposite <laughs> the complete opposite to what you were hoping to exactly, find exactly exactly and i was left quite distraught when i read this it was late there was no one to talk to and uh and i thought oh my god what am i going to do what am i going to do i looked at the glass of red wine on the table and you know, that was my default mechanism for any distress. And I thought, well, there's not enough red wine in the world to deal with how I'm feeling. And then I had this thought that sort of changed my whole tra trajectory. And it was something like, well, if it was good enough for her to write a poem about me, maybe I could write a poem too. So I picked up the pen instead of the glass of red and I started to write, didn't know what I was doing, but the words flowed. There's a poem by Derek Mann, and there's a couple of lines in that poem. The poems flow from the hand unbidden, and the hidden source is the watchful heart. The poems flow from the hand unbidden, and the hidden source is the watchful heart. And I guess through paying attention to my heart, the, the, the words flowed, and I felt better. 
like than what I would have even felt after some good red wine. And then I thought, well, if that was helpful for me, I wonder if it might be helpful for other people as well. And because I was already doing this work in Dr. Wellbeing, I started playing with the idea of introducing some reflective writing into the teaching. And if I was going to do it in the teaching, I probably needed to do it myself as well. So uh, that's how I started to do it. And how do you think, Hilton, that it has helped you? Um, like you've touched on that before, talking about that, you know, ability to for some patients to get closure. What purpose in your own well-being do you think that the reflective writing has served? Yeah, so with my own well-being, I, d- I don't know if this ever happens to you, Christina, but sometimes I have thoughts that just go round and round in my head and they just go round and round and they have no direction and there's no beginning and no end. It's just like a crack record, these thoughts and associated feelings. And I used to find it very hard to get rid of those thoughts. Now, when I write about some of those irritations, and they can be very minor irritations, if I write about them in a semi-structured kind of a way, it gives some direction. And I'm often surprised by what follows and new thoughts that come. And they're often insights that do allow me to let go of those irritations and see them in a new light. So that is one way that it's helped. There's been aspects of my family background that writing about that has been incredibly helpful for uh, better understanding the intergenerational trauma that may have come as a result of my family background. So that's been incredibly freeing particularly with my mother's family who came from Lithuania. We didn't really know any of their background, but had some photos of my grandparents and great-grandparents. And so writing in response to those photos has allowed me to, in a way, fall in love with these ancestors that I've never known and help me to feel a little bit more complete in who I am. So I don't really want to glorify it too much, you know, but... For me, it, it has just been incredibly helpful in many ways. That's the initial writing phase. And then there's the, the crafting and putting it together in a form that might be digestible for other people and then putting it out into the world and seeing the response and the reaction from other people who read the writing. And particularly since the release of the book, I've had so many emails and messages from GPs and other doctors and and non-medical people around Australia and internationally, just really mostly saying thank you for sharing these stories. And a bit like what you mentioned earlier, Christina, about now I don't feel so alone. I thought I might be the only person who felt like that. And I'm really happy to know that I'm not. So that thing about, you know, I don't know, again, if this happens for you, but I kind of like to help people and that was one of the motivations for working as a doctor and because I'm not working clinically anymore uh, to still help people and as one of the reviewers said I'm still healing I'm just healing with the written word instead of the spoken word and that's really nice to be able to do that. It is lovely. There is like you say so much that I think a lot of GPs would be able to relate to and 
in parts you talk about some of the some of the the strain that general practice did take on you and and where you did get to a point in your career where you were starting to you know have excessive worry at times and you know write copious lists and things that you needed to do to keep patients healthy and to make you know make sure you didn't make any mistakes and and you talked how at times that work infected your dreams I think infected was actually the word you used and it kind of stuck with me I actually always say that I have a Friday curse. <laughs> I don't have remote access um, in my current role. And so it f- always feels like a very long time between Friday and when I'm back in cl- clinic the following week because I don't work on the weekend. And I feel like it's the Friday curse that there's always one patient that I end up on Friday night, either you know at about 9 p.m. just as I'm about to go to bed or about 2 a.m. when I wake up, I, something triggers and I start thinking about it and I start you know worrying that I've made a mistake or I've done something or I've, you know, or I should have done something else or, um, you know, so that's my, that's, and and then I have to wait until Monday or Tuesday when I'm back in clinic to actually get an answer to that and make sure that the patient was actually fine. Despite the fact I'd lost three nights sleep, they had slept perfectly well and were totally fine by the time I called them the next week. So, and when you talk about the fact that you were able to use reflective writing, I guess, to sort of, to heal some of those kind of thoughts that would be rambling through your head you know and and impacting on you and your well-being you were able to sort of get that out on paper that did start to make me think well is this a tool then could I use so how would you suggest to doctors that they would be able to use reflective writing in their own practice I guess yeah, such a good question. And um, I think a lot of what holds people back from writing or any creative pursuit is the fear that they'll be no good at it. People be, you know, they worry they'll be no good. So I'll talk to you, Christina, but I know the listeners will be listening as well. So Christina, if you find yourself in that situation, the one reflective writing tool or strategy that you might like to use is just set aside 10 minutes, put on a timer so that you know that it's going to end at the end of the 10 minutes, and then just get a pen or a pencil and some paper. And the goal for that 10 minutes is to just keep writing without stopping. Keep the pen moving or the pencil moving. And don't worry about neatness, spelling, grammar, flowery language, metaphors, anything like that. The, the, the purpose of this writing is just to do the writing. You can tear it up, eat it, burn it when it's done. It doesn't matter. It's not the product, it's the process that's important. And when you start, I think if you start with the word, so you might have the patient in mind or the thing that has been disturbing your sleep, that might be in your mind. And when you start the writing, start with the two words, I wonder. I wonder. So it brings a spirit of curiosity to the process. And then you write the words, I wonder, and then just keep writing until the timer goes off. If you get stuck and you don't know what to write next, just write, I'm stuck. I don't know what to write next. Hilton, this crazy doctor from Lennox Head said, I've got to do this. Just keep going. And it's almost like you let the pen or the pencil lead the way, trying not to think too much ahead. Just let the pen or pencil lead the way. If you're a um, fanatic about neatness and spelling and that sort of thing, close your eyes as you do it. So you can't see your spelling errors and just just let it 
flow. And uh, I think you might find that if you were to do that, two things will happen. One is you'll be surprised by where the pen leads you because it's going in a different direction to what's going round and round in the head. And the second thing is you might get back to sleep a little bit more easily. That'd be good, wouldn't it? It would be good. So I will give it a go. (laughs) And I would encourage our listeners to have a think about that as well. And that's a nice little introduction, I guess, way of of just starting out. And I think that was something that struck me because, you know, when you talk about Yo, you don't have to be great at reflective writing and yet I'm reading this beautifully written book that's just in my mind is just so perfectly written and I'm thinking oh it's easy for him to, him to say <laughs> you know but I think it is it's just about starting somewhere and just whatever comes to your head rather than thinking you have to get this perfect poem out first go because um, if we try, aim for that in our often perfectionistic Taipei personalities that we are, you know, we're going to be disappointed and then and, and sort of put it aside and give up and go, oh, that's not for me. So I think just being able to start somewhere and just write anything and with no expectation on what's going to come out at the other end is a good way to start. And in terms of then the, the next steps, if there are doctors out there that are listening and, you know, they're interested and they, maybe they, they give that a go, what would be the next thing that you would recommend for them? Is there something, a resource or something that they can look at or to kind of guide them in this space? Yeah, so I do some writing workshops. So if people just want to go into my website, onto the events page they'll see opportunities to to come to some of the reflective writing workshops uh, there's a book that I can suggest as well but I'm just going to have to grab that off the shelf we'll put it in the podcast notes okay put in the notes yes so it's a it's a book by James Penny Baker who did the original research on the benefit he calls it expressive writing but it's kind of like the same thing reflective writing but the main thing really is Christine I think is just to start and to think about what is the purpose why am I doing this and for me the initial purpose this is for myself it's just for me and Uh, It's for the process. It's not for what comes out onto the page. It's for the process of getting things out of my head and onto the page. And uh, thank you for being so kind about the book. Uh, If you looked at what I call the vomit on the page where a lot of those stories started, uh, it would be immensely reassuring for you to know that it doesn't have to be good at all to get started there's a saying in writing it doesn't have to be great it doesn't even have to be good but it does have to be written so that's like the the starting point and isn't it different from so much else of what we do in medicine where we need to get it right first go every go Um, here's an opportunity to not get it right and in fact there is no right or wrong It's just either it's there or it isn't there. And if it's there, it's perfect. First draft. Which is kind of refreshing. (laughs) Well, Hilton, thank you so much. It is probably all that we have time for today. Um, I wish that we could keep on talking and actually share some more of the stories from the book. I just think some of the listeners would benefit from that. But hopefully for those that are interested, they will grab a copy of your book, One Curious Doctor, and have a read. And just be curious and consider whether um, reflective writing might be something that they could utilize for themselves. So thank you once again, Hilton, and good luck with it all. Thanks so much, Christina. It's been great to chat. 
The Good GP is produced and edited by the team at RACGPWA. If you've got any questions or would like to contact The Good GP, please feel free to email us at thegoodgp at gmail.com. Thanks for listening.